please stand for the reading of God's word. Our passage today is from Psalm chapter 8, the 8th Psalm. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. After the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, several of us from Kenwood were there on a mission trip. Now, my construction skills are pretty non-existent, and that's what most of the folks were doing. But with my counseling skills and a tiny bit of Creole French and a very good translator, I was able to talk to some of the school children who had been in Port-au-Prince and had lost their families in the quake. One girl described to me that she was at home as the house began to shake. She was in one part of the house and her mother was in another part of the house. And as the house started to crumble around them, she heard her mother yell, run, run to the church. And so she did. She ran to the nearby church and it withstood the quake. She was safe, but her mother was killed in the collapse of the house. Of course, not all church buildings in Haiti literally withstood the quake, but the symbolism is what struck with me. Literal buildings fall in decay, but the true meaning of the church, the community of God's people redeemed by Jesus, should be a place of stability and safety. Like the Cedars of Lebanon image that we're using for this series of sermons, we need to be people who are shaped and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. May this series of sermons help us to do just that. Because lots of things are shaking around us, and that includes the definition of human identity and human worth. It's always tempting to accept the latest, the latest, shiniest, best packaged ideas. We win everybody's approval. We avoid conflict. On the other hand, we don't want to just hold on to old things because they've been around a while. Many bad ideas have been around for a long time too. So how do we find our identity as human beings? Is it in making a list of things that we can do, things that we have, how we look? A lot of those things are relatively stable, but sooner or later all of them are going to change over the course of time. And on top of that, the longer I live, the more God exposes my faults and my weaknesses. So I can't build my life on simply what seems right or natural to me. I may think of myself as a patient person, 
but others around me may have some other data points on that. I am not perfect. My heart can deceive me. And no one else is perfect either. The voices that we're influenced by, friends, movie stars, movie makers, whoever, they can make mistakes. They can be sincere, but they can be wrong. When I accept human definitions of love or of what it means to be a man or a woman, I may be heading in the wrong direction. The place to look for the definition of what it means to be human comes from looking at the intention of our creator and our designer. To understand human identity, we must begin with God's identity. And that's what we've been singing about all morning. And Psalm 8 does that. King David, who probably wrote this, focuses our attention, first of all, on who God is. That grounds our identity. God's nature and power can be seen in creation, both across the earth and in the heavens. God's name, his character, his reputation, his brand, we might say, is excellent above all else. God is Lord over all peoples, over all the earth. But David goes on to say it's not just the big, strong things that show us who God is. The psalmist points out that small children, babies, nursing infants, show us God's amazing design. We're drawn to them and we marvel. Even the smallest parts of God's creation are vehicles of his wisdom and his beauty and his power. Even with one hand tied behind his back, he's amazing. And now that the psalmist has put God on center stage, where he deserves to be, he begins to put us in the context of this great ecosystem that he's designed. And we have a strong foundation for exploring who we were, who we are. Verse 3 says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings, that you care for them. There's a shift here. God is so great that he metaphorically shapes the universe with his fingers. Man is so small that he's dwarfed by the universe. What's man? David gives a surprising answer. Verse 5, you've made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swims the path of the sea. God's surprising answer to that question is that he's mindful of us. He notices us. He cares for us. He's watching out for us. He's watching over us. He's paying attention to us. We have a place as part of all his grand design. He honors us with a status in the universe. David's words in Psalm 8 point back there especially to Genesis 1, and 28, to what God said at the creation of man. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, 
he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, the ancient Near Eastern creation stories say that the gods created humans as their slaves because they were tired of doing work themselves. Islam says that Allah created mankind, but it certainly does not say that we were created in his image. So what does it mean to be created in God's image? It's definitely too great an honor to be exhausted in a single definition. But a good strategy is to see what things exactly God has given us the ability and the responsibility to reveal about himself. What are we supposed to do that reflects or points back to God's nature? If we're created in God's image, we can only find our identity in reflecting God's nature. It's not in who we think we are or who we feel we are, or who we want to be. Being truly human involves embracing God's image, not creating our own. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright summarizes it beautifully. The creator loved the world that he had made, and he wanted to look after it in the best possible way. To that end, he placed within his world a looking-after creature, a creature who would demonstrate to the creation who he, the creator, really was, and who would set to work developing the creation and making it flourish and fulfill its purpose. And the human race would model and embody that interrelatedness of trust and love, which was the creator's intention. Relationship was part of the way in which we are meant to be fully human, not for our own sake, but as part of this larger scheme of things. So first of all, we reflect God's image when we manage well the beautiful universe and the living things that ultimately belong to God. And second, we reflect God's image when we live in relationship with others who also reflect the image of God, but in slightly different ways. We're created as male and female. Both are blessed by God. God decided that man by himself and woman by herself can't reflect the glory of God adequately. That does not mean you have to be married to reflect God's image. But in your masculinity, men, the way you relate to all women reflects God's nature or not. In our femininity, women, the way we relate to all men reflects God's nature or not. On Father's Day, we're especially aware of the value of a man caring for his children well. A godly father brings great blessing to the world, and I thank God for my own father. I got the best. I thank all of you who are in there trying, dads. God bless you and make you more like him so that your children can see the image of God through you.
Men and women are not meant to be in competition. The respect and love that we show each other are meant to be a reflection of the life in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're equally divine, but they work together and they honor each other. Can you imagine God the Father and God the Son arguing about who has the right to decide on when we get a new car? The war between the sexes is a result of the fall, not of the original design. If God has crowned all mankind with glory and honor, we can't relate to someone else with less than great respect, even when they frustrate the heck out of us. I'm not here to be a hypocrite. I know a hundred ways to do this male-female relationship thing wrong. And so do you. We often have different ideas on how exactly to relate to each other in a way that most reflects God's image. And some of the expressions of masculinity and femininity vary across time and culture. It isn't always easy. But what tends to help is to focus on what your goal is in relating to others. Romans 12.10 in the ESV tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. It's a good goal. One simple way to figure out what your goals are or what my goals were in a given day is to go back and think about what frustrated me. Because our goals are the things that we want and when we don't reach them, we feel frustrated. Are we mainly focused on how to get somebody else to behave as we think that they ought to toward us? Or are we putting our effort into behaving in a godly fashion toward them ourselves, asking God's help and wisdom? If God made maleness and femaleness, we need to embrace the gender God's given us, even when it challenges us and asks of us difficult things. When men and women honor each other, we show the glory and goodness of our triune God. We're created to bear God's image, not to shape our own. We do so in unique ways, using the gifts that God gives us and for which we're responsible. Obviously, none of us reflects God's image perfectly. The very best of Adam's race falls short. So God made a way for there to be a new race of humans, recreated with a living connection to God's very life. We can be born again, not through Adam, but through Jesus. In Jesus, we are recreated once more to live as God's image bearers. In Philippians 2, we have the most beautiful summary. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, 
every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Human beings are to live for the glory of God in his image. Jesus is the one who shows us what it means to be truly human as we were designed to be. In Jesus, we see someone living out the image of God by offering every part of his life to make God's nature known. When we're united by faith with Jesus, we receive forgiveness, we're made right with God, but even more than that, we receive a new nature given to us by the Holy Spirit, and he's at work with us to fulfill the divine purpose and change us more into his image. Is this church a community of faith where we embrace the image given us, the identity given to us by God? It's crazy, but we're tempted to trade down for lesser identities that we dream up for ourselves. Our dreams are too small. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful essay, The Weight of Glory, which you must read, says, we're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like ignorant children making mud pies in a slum because we don't understand what's meant when we're offered a vacation at the beach. We have the opportunity to be transformed into Christ-likeness, to bring glory to God. We bless and benefit others around us when we do. What is humanity? We are created beings. We are given the honor of bearing God's image and reflecting God's nature to his glory. This high calling is made possible to us through connecting ourselves with the one true perfect human, Jesus. Right now, we only reflect God's image partially. Right now, we don't live as open-handed, responsible, grateful stewards of God's creation, receiving and sharing all things with joy. Right now, we don't live in loving relationships with others who are also created by God and embrace the unique gifts God has given us. The God who is recreating us in Jesus will bring that good work to completion one day. Right now, we practice. We try to help each other. With God's help, sometimes we manage just for a minute to reflect his light. You know people like that. You want to be somebody like that. God's at work in the world with people who decide that they're going to reflect his image and embrace the identity he's given us rather than fooling around with creating our own. Who do you want to be? I want to be what God made me to be. I want to be what God made possible in Jesus. I want to become fully like him. Someday I want to see him face to face. But here and now, 
The way to get there is to embrace that destiny daily, choosing to live for God's honor and being transformed more and more into his image. In the middle of a shaking world, a mother in Haiti told her daughter to run to the church. I'd modify that, I guess. I believe the message for us is to run to Jesus to find our identity, to embrace the gifts and identity that he has given to us, to decide daily to follow where he leads us, to accept the assignment to be his created vessel wherever he's put you. The Apostle Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You were created in the image of God to reflect God's nature as a steward of his creation in loving relationships with others. By his love and his power, Please invite Jesus to take you into the glorious future planned for the children of God. It's worth living out.